This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 446 with Abby Wood. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 446. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community, so be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Hello, mamas. Before we start today, I want to take a moment to honor the deep pain of our shameless moms of color and especially our black shameless moms. While this pain is not new, in fact, it has always been present, I know that emotions are extremely raw right now and even suffocating at times. I'm hearing this from our black shameless moms. Please know that the shameless mom community sees you and honors you. And to my white shameless moms, I want to invite you to sit with me for a moment of silence to think carefully and critically about how you want to be a better ally. I know many of you are very uncomfortable right now. So am I. Our discomfort only points to our privilege because for so many of us, we have not had to look closely at how we show up for black lives before. During the next 60 seconds, I invite you to think about how you can show up as the person you want to be for your black brothers and sisters. How do you want to stand in your core values, even when the discomfort is almost unbearable? And what is the next step that you will take? I hope that minute was uncomfortable because I think that is our discomfort is very necessary right now. And I also hope during that minute that you made a commitment to yourself 
And if you want to share that commitment with me, I'm more than happy to hear it. Feel free to DM me, feel free to share it in our Facebook group, feel free to share it in a way that feels authentic and true to you. I'm here for all of it. I also want to say that this conversation, this intro should have happened on Monday's episode. And I'm saying this not because anyone called me out, at least at the time of this recording, not because anyone called me out for not saying something sooner. I'm calling myself out. And I think that this is what we need to be doing as white women. We need to be calling ourselves out and looking constantly at how we can be doing better and looking constantly at how we can get a little bit more uncomfortable to stand behind the core values that we really want to be stepping into and that really demonstrate who we want to be becoming. I have a really special interview for you today, and while the timing is coincidental, it worked out very serendipitously. Our guest, Abby Wood, is a woman of color who was silenced for years. It took her escaping her family and an arranged marriage and creating an entirely new identity to find her voice. And today you're going to hear her powerful story. As a woman and a person of color, Abby Wood has heard more than her fair share of what to say and do in the world. At times a whisper and at times a yell, she's used her voice to create what she calls a full and fulfilling life. Primarily, she works with business owners to help them find their voice, or as she calls it, uncover their biznality, so that marketing and talking about their business feels like a natural extension of themselves versus an out-of-body experience. I met Abby at an event a few months ago, and she was actually slated to talk about businality and her business and how she helps women talk about their businesses, their brands, and use their voice. But what compelled me to ask her to come on the show was her story that she shared. And she shared this really amazing story about her life and her journey in finding her own voice. And at the end, She said, people tell me I have a remarkable story, but to me, it just seems normal. And I was like, oh, no, no, this is not normal. (laughs) And I want you to come talk on my show about this journey that you've been on to find your voice. So Abby is going to share what it has been like being raised in a Pakistani family, being pushed into an arranged marriage, leaving that arranged marriage. She has this really amazing, powerful story and journey that I think is just riveting in so many ways. So listen in to hear Abby share about being raised in a Pakistani family while living in England, her experience of feeling like she didn't fit in anywhere. She didn't feel like she fit in in her brown family or in her white world in England. She's going to talk about how her voice was quieted by her family and her culture and the path that led to her arranged marriage. She's going to share how she ended up secretly on birth control while also in fertility treatment. She'll talk about getting out of her arranged marriage and finding her voice and the evolution that has come since then, since finding her voice, taking steps to build a new life away from her family here in Oregon on the West Coast of the U.S., far, far away from her family and the environment and the culture that she was raised in. And she's going to share how she helps other women find their voices, cling to their stories, embrace their stories, their identity in order to show up more completely, more powerfully in their lives and their businesses and everywhere else. So I'm so honored and so excited to introduce you to Abby Wood. Abby, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so honored to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor and a pleasure. This is going to be really interesting for our listeners. Fascinating, I think. And I think it'll also be fun. I feel like we're going to talk about some heavy things, but I think we can also have a little bit of fun. Are you ready for that? Oh, I would hope so. Good. I'm going to tell people how we met because I like to always give people a little bit of background. So Abby and I met when I was at an event speaking at We Ignite a few months ago. And we met after I was done speaking, but then you spoke the next day. And as soon as you were done speaking, I was like, you need to come on my podcast. And, <laughs> and you said, I don't feel like I have that interesting of a story. And I said, oh, you have a really interesting story. We need to talk about this. I think everyone says that, right? I know. When you've lived your life, it just seems normal and average. And when other people hear about anyone else's life, it seems not normal and not average. And we all have questions. So I'm excited to dive into your story today. And I know that you are someone who doesn't tell your story professionally. And so this is going to be very authentic and raw, potentially, and maybe a little bit uncomfortable. So I just want to give you all the space and grace to do what you need to do to share and be open and also feel as comfortable as possible. Thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. Yeah. 
So let's start with just a little bit beyond your bio and kind of where you're at right now. Tell us, and I'll tell people we're recording in the middle of COVID. So I feel like I always have to tell people that that's when the recording happens. So we're, you're in Oregon. I'm up in Seattle. We're in week six of no school, quarantine, all that kind of stuff. And you guys are just, I think, maybe a week or so behind. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. So that's the life we're living. (laughs) Yeah. So tell us about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now, which may or may not relate to COVID. Yeah. So right now, I feel like I'm in transition personally and professionally. I feel like my both of these paths in my life merging, and I'm not fully clear on what it's going to look like over the next few months. So I'm actually taking this time to do some deep self exploration within myself. Other than that, you know, I have my husband at home with me, I have my two kids, we have two cats, schooling them, my husband and I are both working from home right now. And we're alternating days with each other, which I think is pretty fabulous. It can be pretty tiring because with solo parenting while the other is working and then when the work day is done we gather as a family and we have dinner and wrap up with the whole bedtime routine that seems to just stretch on for hours right (laughs) yes and remind me how old are your kids minus seven and nine they're going to be eight and ten in a few months okay yeah so interested in this trading days because I've heard of other people kind of breaking up the day where like one partner has the morning, one partner has the afternoon. So you're kind of on all day, but then the next day you get to be like hyper-focused on work or just normally focused on work, but feels like hyper-focused right in current scene. Oh yeah. We tried splitting up days. It kind of happened organically because before we got into what's working well for us, we had some stuff that was pre-scheduled, right? And so we had some days that were split between the two of us. And I personally was not driving with that because it involved one of us getting going with the kids and then the other kind of having to step in and transition the switch really quickly yeah, as it can be sometimes. And it just felt stressful. And so dedicating a day at a time is what's working for us. That makes so much sense. We've actually kind of shifted the way we navigate things as well over time. And Mm -hmm. I've noticed that if you do it like half in the morning, half in the afternoon or whatever, the second person kind of has to go back and do a lot of like get caught up on what the first person did. And it's like repeated work. Exactly. And that's kind of what was just seeming to be ineffective. Yeah, we've definitely struggled with that a little bit. Yeah. Okay, so I want to talk about your story. I want to dive into your story about your voice. And so, again, giving people context around how I was introduced to you and your background is you actually were doing a workshop at We Ignite around voice and talking with business owners and women about finding their voice, using your voice in your brand. But what was so fascinating is that your interest in working with women around using their voice came from your own story about your voice and your voice being quieted and silenced and not having a lot of opportunities to really use your voice early on in your life. So can you talk about your upbringing and where you come from and how that connects to what you do and your interest in voice? Yeah, so I actually didn't realize the power that voice holds or my strong interest in working with women through this lens until I faced the power that I had in my own voice. And I did the work that took me time to kind of, you know, look into my past and look at my story and things like that. So I guess this is the point where you're asking, right, the tough kind of like going into the tough stuff into my past where I come from. I was raised with a Pakistani family in a Pakistani family. I don't know, in England. (laughs) Both. (laughs) Both. (laughs) I was raised in the Pakistani culture in England. And so I really between two cultures, I feel like I was too white for my family and too brown for people at large. So in that sense, I was two people. I felt I was one person outside the home and I was another inside the home and inside the home, I was expected to be subservient and quiet and silent and don't speak unless you're spoken to. And even then, we want to hear you say yes, we want to hear your compliance. We do not want to hear your thoughts. We are not asking for those. And when you have opinions and you have thoughts, that can be really challenging Absolutely. And can you talk what was that? And remind, if I recall, you have siblings, correct? Yes, all six of them. I was... <laughs> oh my gosh, I forgot that part. <laughs> so six siblings. 
Yes. And was there a difference around voice? And I can't remember if you shared this when I heard you speak before, but around voice in terms of how the boys in your family versus the girls were encouraged to use their voice? Yes. Good gracious. Pretty much the guys had all the voice and the power and the girls had none. My sister, interestingly enough, she has managed to use her voice and get to a place where she wants in a way that's worked with the family. And I wasn't back then able to find that for myself. I remember my brothers coming home. So when I was a child, say around eight, 10 years old, thereabouts coming home from school, you know, you're hungry, you want to eat dinner. My mom would be preparing the food for me. And then my brothers would come home after me and they're older, they're closer to being adults. And my food would then go to them. Wow. So my mom was very traditional in that sense. You put the men before the women and that's kind of the way that she raised us. I don't hold, put her at fault or blame her in any way. I love her with all of my heart unconditionally. She was parenting us in the way that she knew best, which is funny because when she was a child, the stories that I've heard, her father strongly advocated. This is when she was living in Pakistan, right? Her father advocated for her to go to school and she did not want to. Oh, interesting. And her and her father fought because he wanted her to be educated and she had no interest. And so it's super interesting, right? The way we choose to use the resources that we're given. And you would think that she wouldn't have had those resources at her disposal as a Pakistani girl slash woman back that would have been 40s 50s right this episode is supported by a podcast i want to share with you called understood explains so this is show is about navigating adhd dyslexia and other learning and thinking differences which can be so confusing and so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily, It's very digestible, and the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Urtube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners 
listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. That is really interesting. Did you recognize the disparity between your brothers and sisters and how you were treated and how you were given space and power? Or was it something that was just normal and accepted? I think it was around the teen years that I started it really coming into my consciousness that, hey, it seems to be one rule for them, another for me. I couldn't even go to Pizza Hut with my girlfriends and they were spending entire nights, entire weeks away from the home with no supervision. And I remember speaking to one of my brothers seeking their permission for me to be able to do this. And I was even pleading like, hey, come and watch us. There will be no boys there. It is just me and my girlfriends. And he wasn't having any of it. He just had such deep suspicion and mistrust of, I want to say, not me personally, but just women in general. And I feel like he's a bit of a misogynist. And there were some things that I'd noticed written on his whiteboard when we went to visit him one time that said something to the how women are second class citizens. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's a bit of a strange one. (laughs) (laughs) So there was messaging, not only were you getting this messaging from your parents based on, you know, cultural tradition, and the way that, you know, generations had been raised in your family. But then you also have your siblings who are living in, you know, the modern times that you are, and they're also reinforcing the messaging. Right. And my sister is telling me quite literally in her words, don't rock the boat. And there I was rocking the boat. If she would tell you how I was in her words, (laughs) she would say you're rocking the boat so hard that you just, you know, she would just paint quite the picture. So you were using your voice, even though you had been encouraged not to. I feel like I was in some ways, like it would explode out of me at times. Okay. And it showed up as rebellion. It showed up as... I'm going to wear these clothes and I'm going to stay late after school. And quote unquote, I was hanging out at the library with my friends, which actually I was. Mm -hmm. And yet that still was, you know, just barely accepted. And then when I wanted to go to college, I wanted to go move away from home and study English. That was my passion. And that was unacceptable. And so for a while, I rocked the boat really hard there. And my dad was pretty much silent in all of this. He was pretty supportive overall. But I think with me moving away was too much for him to think of a woman by herself, unprotected or however he might have seen it through his lens, right? And he pretty much to the essence said that he would disown me if I left. And my sister was going to support me anyway. At that point, she was willing to drive me up. And my heart could not take that disconnect in the relationship that it was going to sever with me taking those steps. And so my voice would come out of me and I would try along the way to do things my way. And then I would get pulled back in. Or I was accused of having relationships with boys because I wrote poetry as a young teen and just misunderstanding my pen pals names because they happened to be names that could be boys names, things like that. And I had my internet taken away which then my dad got back for me because, you know, he was supportive in some ways. Talk a little bit about the, it sounds like there's this deep concern around you having would be deemed inappropriate relationships, which in like current American culture would just be perceived as like typical teenager relationships. (laughs) So their fear was around you having relationships with boys, it sounds like. Yeah. And so what were the expectations? I know culturally, this is so different than in America and in England, but in a Pakistani family, what are the expectations around relationships for teenage girls? So definitely not between genders. Right. So some Pakistani families or Muslim families may take it to the point where they have complete segregation between genders. So when you visit a house, the girls and ladies will be in one room and the gents will be in another. If there's a wedding or a celebration, you'll find the same segregation of genders. Not always, but sometimes. And I think, no, for sure, but I feel like some sense of this There might be some sense of it in maybe some Christian faiths or some other subcultures around America. I feel like I've heard or seen some understanding of, oh, yeah, like, dear God, no boyfriend-girlfriend relationships as teenagers, right? So that's 
it's partly religious and partly cultural because I feel like the culture will take elements of the religion and just make it their own, right? And so how my story progresses and where I got to the point of the arranged marriage, I think we'll probably get to that in a minute. Yeah. That was entirely cultural and could be done in a way that honors both the woman's will and the men's. And was is the expectation that there'd be no relationships between you and a boyfriend until your parents chose for you to have a relationship and then that would be immediately like the first step is into an arranged marriage? I would say that is it at its worst. There are shades of, you know, let's supervise relations so you can get to know each other and figure out if you're a good fit for each other. And in a healthy way, that is what an arranged marriage would look like. Okay. And that is what arranged marriages can look like. But also they can look like essentially forced marriages. Okay. And can you share what it looked like for you and your family? Yeah, I'd say for me, it was a mix between arranged and forced. So my family would probably disagree. I want to interject with this, like the semantics on this, because yeah. in my mind, and I'm sure many people listening, like anything arranged is forced. <laughs> and This is super fascinating that the spectrum that exists between forced and arranged for, you know, that you were exposed to growing up versus like my perspective, that would all fall into the category of forced. So fascinating. Yeah, I think the term now might be assisted marriages. Okay. That might feel a little bit more supportive, right? I know and I've seen so many marriages take place where people have been matched and they're in very healthy relationships and successful relationships. Okay. And sometimes I think the success is because maybe that's just the expected way. And and you know that you're going into this relationship with these expectations and you're fulfilling the tradition that's been placed on you. But yes, yeah, so going back to what it looked like for me, yeah. after my dad passed away, I had no protector anymore, right? And I say that with a little bit of humor. And my brothers, my family were all of a sudden very eager to see me married. Up until that point, the expectation was that I would finish my studies, which wasn't English, by the way. Then I would just kind of see where life takes me. And maybe there'd be a marriage. I mean, there probably was going to be a marriage at some point because, hello, that's my culture. But I think I was going to avoid it for as long as I could, right? Unless I could somehow contrive a scenario where the arranged marriage was with somebody that I'd already met and gotten to know. Because that happens too, where it's quote unquote arranged and the parents bring the man into the picture. But really, the kids have kind of figured it out on their own. Okay. So when my dad passed away, it was in my last year of uni and the pressure was on. I remember at one point I actually kind of blew up and I was like, do you want me to just go pull a man in off the streets? Like, you know, and I had tried on my own to find a suitable mate for myself. <laughs> I would imagine you probably there's a lot of women who put a lot of pressure on themselves because that's more desirable than having a random match or a parent chosen match. Right. And so I tried. But, you know, hey, finding a suitable life partner. <laughs> At a really young age. It's not an overnight thing. <laughs> right. And how old were you at this time? At that time, I was, gosh, from my dad passed away when I was 19. And I think I was 22 when I got married. So it was those few years. Okay. And then eventually what happened is I had tried and tried and failed. And so I decided to compromise. And I went to my family and said, okay, let's do this. And I think what happened after that from what I've heard after the fact is that it was a little bit of a misunderstanding. They thought we were going to Pakistan to consider possible partners for me. And I thought I was going to get married. So I was doing all the shopping, looking for my bridal dresses, things like that. And then, you know, I think it was just a case of like, and there's a phrase for it, and it's just escaping me right now, where it's like a comedy of errors, or you just not on the same page, and it kind of, you know, and I ended up married. And I gave it my all. What were your feelings going into it? Like, were you okay with it? Or I was hopeful. I wanted it to work. And I thought that it could work. My sister had done it. My sister had an arranged marriage. And it's been very successful for her. Her husband is awesome. And what were your feelings towards your husband? Did you have what was like your initial gut feeling about him? We had talked a little and I thought I thought there was potential. Okay. And so we got, you know, into the relationship into the marriage. And I decided that I was gonna take off the rest of the school year and just spend an extended amount of time in Pakistan, really getting to know him and being with him. 
And in hindsight, I'm really glad that I did because it gave me an opportunity to really actually get to know him and see some sides of him that had me feeling like this is not a good match. And by some stroke of luck, I had put myself in birth control unbeknownst to my family just to protect myself because I didn't want to get pregnant so early. And what are the cultural values and beliefs around birth control? I mean, typically... I think it's one of those gray areas. Okay. It's not, it might be forbidden, but I sometimes you got to do what you got to do if you're not ready, you know? Like I would go so far as to say, I mean, we could get into some stuff, right? About what's okay and what's not okay. But I think that's a whole different conversation. You hadn't been given message, strong messaging one way or the other then? No, I mean, I, I pretty much made that decision on my own. Okay. Because I knew I was going to be there. I knew I was going to be engaging in relations, right? And I didn't want to end up pregnant at that time. And so two months into, this is hard for me to say, two months into my time there, my family decided I wasn't getting pregnant quick enough. And I don't know if they had some sense that like, hey, if this chick doesn't get pregnant, (laughs) there's not going to be a way for us to keep her in this relationship. I don't know if there was a sense of that going on. And so I ended up in fertility treatment and on birth control at the same time. And I had no idea which one was going to win. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I'm assuming your husband had no idea you were on birth control. Yeah, it was totally. I mean, we had tried condoms and he, had, you know, decided he didn't like them. And what was your this sounds like such a big burdensome secret to be going into fertility treatments and doctor's visits carrying this secret with you that you're on birth control? And were you worried that that would get discovered or uncovered? Or how did I think I was a little because I just wasn't sure what was going to happen. Right. You know, I was like, is a fertility treatment going to undo what my birth control is doing? And I was taking pills. So I had them hidden and I would take one each day. Oh, my goodness. And how long did that phase last of being on birth control and in fertility treatments? That was for the rest of my stay. So four months before I returned to England and partway through my stay, I had already started getting the feelings that this wasn't going to continue the relationship that is. And so when I went back to England, that's when I had to make the decision to really speak up and use my voice in a for real powerful for me kind of way. And when you went back to England, did you go back by yourself without your husband? I think I don't remember if my mom was with me. My mom and I are pretty attached and she had come to be with me during part of the time that I was in Pakistan. Okay. So I don't remember if I returned by myself or if it was with her. But, but no, yeah. You didn't return with your husband. You guys separated. Okay. The idea was is that I was going to go to England and get to work on putting the visa in place and everything, the application so that he could then come and join me. Okay, so you weren't coming to England to leave him, you were coming to like for the next step in your relationship. Yes, as far as anyone knew. Okay, so that was everyone else's plan for the situation. And in your mind, you were coming to England to be done with the marriage? Yes, I had to figure out how I was going to do that. Mm. I knew that as a Muslim woman, I had rights. Um, Divorce is totally a thing in Islam. Women can seek it and pursue it if they choose. And I knew that's what I wanted for myself. And I was prepared to go through the Islamic courts if necessary to procure the termination. And when I'm uncomfortable, I start speaking with these big words. (laughs) (laughs) If that says anything to how I'm feeling. (laughs) You don't sound uncomfortable at all, by the way. You're doing a great job. To procure the termination of my marriage. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So we didn't even, we should have said from the beginning that you are an amazing writer. And so probably like you go into like this professional realm of like, I'll pull out the big words and that like (laughs) helps shield me a little bit. The more comfortable I am, like the worst my English gets. I love it. This is so interesting because I had all these like preconceived ideas. I would have assumed that divorce would not be an option or would be a really difficult option. And there'd be a lot of, so it was a thing, but it wasn't an easy go-to. Yeah. And that's the thing I think where culture gets confused with the religion so much is that women are automatically assumed to not basically have any rights. And there are so many rights afforded by Islam. And so I looked into those and I knew that there were ways like there was Islamic courts was one option I could appeal. And that somebody that I know actually pursued that option for themselves because their partner was not granting them the divorce. Their father was not on board. 
with the divorce. And so she had to go to the Islamic courts and the Islamic courts granted her the divorce. And the other option for me was when a couple is separated for two years, willingly of choice, the marriage is dissolved. Okay. And so I was like, well, I'm just going to stay in England for two years and he can be over there. And worst case scenario, we're no longer married. And then this went on for quite a while. And just shy of the two year mark, my family and I were going back and forth and they were not appreciating that this is how I was feeling and wanting to do. My brother had some really nice things to say to me. And just shy of the two years is when I got on the phone with my then husband and he granted me the divorce. And I put the phone on speaker so that people could hear. So it wasn't just hearsay. Right. And that was that. So had he been fighting you up to that point? Oh, yeah. And there were some threats made by him, by my brothers, just that a woman could think to just think for herself and act for herself. Dear God, how shocking. And it's so interesting that, and I don't think this is unique to, you know, your culture. I think this happens in all cultures that, that yeah, a partner would want to keep another partner in a marriage that they don't want to be in <laughs> and miserable. Like, how does anyone win in that situation? Is emotional abuse, emotional blackmail? It's emotional something, right? Yeah. It happened. I'm sure there are parallels. I know my culture, my story is unique and particular in some ways, but in others, there's just so many parallels that I see in and with women all over the place where they're feeling like they don't have a say in how they want to live their life. Yeah. How they want to run their business, all kinds of things, how they want to parent. What was your family's perspective of this? And were they, it sounds like they were not super supportive, but they also weren't disowning you over this. At that point, yeah, it was a point of tension. Okay. There was no disowning happening at that point. I think it would have been tenuous. I would have been like that disgraced woman. Like, oh, shame, you know, she was married and oh, she chose to let a man go and not have a man over her. So after he grants you the divorce, then are you allowed to go be free and independent or are you expected to be back with your family and kind of under their supervision again? Back with my family, I would say. Okay. And how did that tell us what happened then? Like, where did you go from there? Yeah. So I, at that point, I wanted to be out on my own. I'd gone to school for something that I didn't want to study, managed to get through it. And I wanted to take the next steps in the way that I wanted to take them. And part of that involved further education for me. I was looking at doing my master's and I thought, I'm going to move away. I'm going to get the funding, the grants, whatever I need to get out on my own and do this. And I remember that I was looking at Bristol, which is, I don't even know, is it Wales? Is it England? It's somewhere over there. Okay. Like East Side. Not that it matters. But I was looking at Bristol. For some reason, the city just appealed to me. And I'm not sure it's that great of a city necessarily, but. <laughs> you just wanted out though. <laughs> I just wanted out and I, I'd pick anywhere. In a way, I felt like the world was my oyster. I could go anywhere. And my bestie and I were looking at taking a year and just essentially going backpacking or going and being in the Caribbean for a while. It was pretty fabulous in a way, you know. And at that point, there was just a huge sense of beginnings, you know, and a new start. And I had no idea what was ahead for me. All I could see was that I wanted out and I couldn't be with my family. I couldn't be dictated to anymore. Yeah. And I think in all honesty, I feel like I could have asked for more independence. Probably sounds really lame. But I feel like I could have worked out a way where I was living my life in the way that I wanted and also doing it within the family system. Mm -hmm. My sister did it. And I feel like had I had the foresight and the maturity, I could have figured it out as well. But I couldn't see beyond the next step. And I just wanted out. And so I rocked that boat one more time and I left, but actually not by myself. So that's another unexpected turn of events is that I was in friendship. And at that point in relationship with my now husband, who decided to come to England for 10 days and we were going to spend 10 days together. And then I was going to come back and, and be in America with him for the summer. And, you know, it was just open. It was like, what's going to happen? I don't know. And I, I was I remember being here in Oregon summer of I think it was 2005 or six at that point and thinking like, this is great, but where am I going to go next? You know, and I was looking at Canada. I had friends in Canada and I was looking at England. And I was going to return and I was going to continue on my plans. And then he proposed to me that summer. 
yeah, so my life ended up taking a totally different turn. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're, Amy, more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. And at the time, I said to him, you know, I don't know if this is a good idea. I don't know if getting married right now, given what I've gone through, and how I really just need to, I really want to be like my own person, you know, and I think for him, it was like, you can be your own person and be in this relationship. He was like, I will support you no matter what. And he has at the time, I think that was for me, it was just another like, okay, well, let's lean into this and see what happens. And so I leaned into it. And 14 years later, (laughs) here we are. And in Oregon, (laughs) in Oregon, and my friends and my family, everybody who knows him is just wow, what a husband. He is 110% and beyond just so supportive. He is there for me, vice versa. I like to think it's teamwork. You know, you know, people ask, oh, you're like with the whole coronavirus and quarantine going on right now. People ask, oh, are you mainly with the kids yourself? Like, is it your soul? You know, American Caucasian women are asking this. It is expected that a lot of this parenting and things, the labor, right, falls to the woman. And in this relationship, and I kind of want to add Islamically, This is a 50-50 partnership. We, you know, housework together. He has his chores. I have mine. We parent together. We work together. And for me, a lot of, I've had to undo a lot of my patterns and ways of thinking and believing that I have to be less than him. I can't outgrow him. This is a fear that I've had. And he is like, outgrow me, please. Which is amazing. Is he also Islamic, did you say? He is, actually. He wasn't when we... He wasn't raised... He wasn't raised that way, and he had done his own studying separate from us being together, and he had decided on his own that he was going to make that decision for himself. Okay. So when you left to come be with him, just to come, you know, on a little trip? Mm -hmm. It was just a little trip. So how did things evolve with your family? Like, where did things go from there, and where do things stand with your family now? Yeah. So when I left that summer, I left, it was kind of in the middle of the night, right? They had no inkling. I think I might have mentioned to them that I was going to leave and they didn't believe me, you know? And so I went ahead and left and we spent the first 10 days in England together. And my family actually reported me missing to the police. Oh my gosh. Because they didn't know where I was. And I wasn't taking the calls because I was terrified. And the police, they called me and said, you know, get cases like this all the time. So we don't know whether to take it seriously. Just call us back and let us know if you're okay. Yeah. And I had to go show up at the police station and be like, I'm fine. I'm cool. I'm alive. So that they knew to like close the case. And so I went and visited my family once during those 10 days and explained, okay, I'm, I'm leaving. This is how it's going to be. And didn't tell them 
that I was going to America. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and told them after the fact. I just didn't want anything getting in my way. And so I had to do my thing really on my own. And after I got here, anything from threats to come back, we'll work it out because shame, shame, a girl left the family in the neighborhood, right? So at the end of the summer, I did return. I thought, okay, they want to work it out. Let's work it out. And I spent five months at home and I didn't see anything changing. I told them that, look, there's a guy. I'd like you to meet him. I'd like him to be my husband. We're not having it. And so about five months into it, and there was, you know, some yelling and stuff along the way. About five months into it, I told them again that I was going to leave. And I was going to come back to the States because Eric was going nuts. He was like, I just need you with me. I can't like think of you over there on your own. And it was either he was going to come to England and meet my family and we were going to live there together. That was my ideal scenario. Mm -hmm. And my family weren't having it. So I ended up back in the States again, like my brothers were. I think at that point, they didn't. It was just odd to me that they wouldn't believe me again. Put stock in my words, in my voice. What does my voice mean? Nothing. And so I left and I took that decision for myself. And effectively, they disowned me. They wrote me off. I have one brother who still does not mention me by name. I saw him for the first time this last summer. And I was terrified because previously he had completely ignored me. He couldn't even acknowledge me. When he talks about me with other siblings, he doesn't mention me by name. I don't know if I already said that. And he sent me a message today via my sister. And he doesn't mention me by name. And when I saw him for the first time, after, you know, a decade plus, the first thing he said to me is, you look unwell. And I returned, you look old. <laughs> and he kind of gave me a look like, what? <laughs> and then just sat quietly for a minute or so and then started talking to me like just nothing had happened. So I thought that was interesting. How has your voice evolved since you left your family? Goodness. You know, like I said, for a long time, I didn't put stock in my voice, even with Eric, with my now wonderful husband. It's been hard for me to ask for what I want. It's been easy for me to just make him the be all and end all. It was two sided coin, right? Like on the one hand, I came here and I wanted to be my own person to the point that I was like, no, I must find my own friends. I don't want to like lean into your social circle. I want my own social circle and I want to be my own person and I want to make it on my own. Right. I don't want to be your wife. I don't want to be your right. And on the other hand, there have been these tones of not clearly saying what I want and worrying and holding myself back in so many ways with my business and my professional growth in all this time. For so long, I just subconsciously did not want to make more than him. Now I'm like, bring it on. Yeah, I cannot wait to outrun him. And I think he can't either. <laughs> I love it. There's also a little bit of, no, you retire me <laughs> going on. But yeah, there's been that evolution. And part of it has very much looked like me taking a look into my past, into my story, journaling it, writing my way through it with all the emotions that come with that, the anger, the bitterness, the resentment. I've gone through all of those with my family. I have felt so done with my family and then I, I cry and there's anger and there's tears and I've called up my sister and literally dumped her and then two days later I'm like, oh, what did I do? Mm -hmm. And in facing up to that and seeing this experience, this past as a part of who I am has helped me so much just to be at ease with who I am. There's one thing that I'm struggling with very recently, actually as recent as this last weekend, pretty much since I moved here on and off, I've struggled with feeling like an outsider, like I don't belong. And that is just another piece of me. And for me, my voice is so much about first being in acceptance with myself. And I feel like when I can be in that place, I can then project yeah. and put my voice out into the world. And I can do it in a way that is mindful and intentional and powerful and grounded just all good things and be of service and do the work that I want to do in the world and all these other things that come up with the, you know, with marketing, there's so much shoulds, should do it this way, should do it that way. And when I work with my clients on their voice, it becomes so much more about 
Who are you? What is your voice? What does it look like, feel like, sound like? Now, how do we bring that into your marketing? Sometimes there are story elements that come along, sometimes not. How has your story informed your work? Have you made a conscientious connection between your story and knowing that you had had come through something significant and deeply impactful and that that has helped you evolve personally and professionally and that's pushed you into the line of work that you do now? Can you speak a little bit about that and kind of tell people what you do and then you can kind of address how your stories informed your work? I feel like for me, the connection is intangible. Yeah. More than anything else, it just lets me see and recognize that we all have a voice, whether we realize it or not, either waiting to be uncovered, waiting to be found, waiting to be brought out into the light. I look at it as we have an inner voice and an outer voice. And when the inner and outer voices align, just beautiful things can happen. And I'd say that's probably the closest that I can get in terms of the connection between my personal life and experiences and how I'm approaching my work and just recognizing that my clients have their voice. It is their voice, not mine. So I was ghostwriting for years before I came to work the way that I do now. And a few right around the time that I was facing my story is when I started feeling uncomfortable with the fact that I was writing for people. And although I was complimented heavily on picking up my clients' voices, to me, it always felt like but it is not their voice. And they could say it imperfectly and it will land and resonate so much more strongly than if I do it on their behalf, even as well as I do it. And so that's when I made the shift from writing for people to coaching them to understand and see and get in touch with their voice and bring it out for themselves. And can you talk about the different ways that you work with people or how you help people in their work? Because I was so interested in this. Anyone who's ever wanted to like write a book or find their voice. And I was the whole reason I went to your talk when we were at this event together a few months ago was because you were talking about writing, ghostwriting, finding voice, like and how we can do that in different ways. And so can you talk a little bit about Mm -hmm how you help clients find their voice. And I love that you talk about like you used to do this in the context of ghostwriting and how do you do it now? Yeah. So when I was between the two, right now, this is where I'm getting really comfortable talking about my work. <laughs> so <fun>. <laughs> When <laughs> I was going from one to the other transitioning, I was trying to think, okay, how can I help people see their voice? Because I can kind of see it and I just see it right? And I can start speaking to and I can, I would sell clients on writing back to their emails in their voice. Yeah, believe it or not. And I don't know if you've ever looked at like two different pieces of writing, and it's just different, right? And I was always very good at that and just assimilating and and falling into it. And so clients would be wowed. And so for me, it was like, I had to turn my brain inside out, just flip it on its head and be like, okay, how can I get people to see this for themselves? Because I can see it so clearly. Yeah. And I came up with this process that I use. It's called the layers of language. And I take my clients through that. We look and it's pretty thorough because I have a research background. And so I like to get pretty deep with people. We look at their personal layers. We look at their professional layers and we look at their industry layers. And that allows me and them to gain a full 360 perspective on what is going on with their voice personally and professionally. And then it gives us an objective kind of view, bird's eye view of the industry. So we can kind of start figuring out, okay, how are we going to meld all of this together? Our voice with the industry and, and with the marketplace, right? In the industry. So once we go through that, we define some terms. I create what I call the businality framework. Businality is a word that I coined and is actually pending trademark. So yay. And once we define those, we do a little strategy work, take a look at how their communication is going to look moving forward through their layers, as I call them, right? And then, so we've defined the voice, we've researched, explored, we've found and defined the voice. And then my clients get to work on exercising and practicing with their voice. And depending on what the strategy of their business looks like, they go to work on those pieces, whether it's web copy or emails or blogging or social media marketing or networking, giving talks, whatever it might be. Because in all my years of ghostwriting, I have a lot of experience in writing to a lot of these things, right? Mm -hmm. And so they get to practice essentially drafting these 
And then we come together in session and I talk them through it and mostly just help them to, I give it a little 20% nudge of my professional wordsmithing and the professional skill set that I hold in terms of like copy and marketing. And then 80% of it is just letting their voice come through in their raw, essential way. And usually by the time we're done working together, they're in a place where they can just move forward independently, which I love. Oh my gosh, I love this. And I think that this is so valuable because I think there's two pieces of it. First of all, I think that people want to do business with people who are relatable. And so you have to have your voice in order to be relatable. And I think the other part is that it's really hard for us to find our voices on our own sometimes because we can't see outside of ourselves. And so I love that you can help people do that because, I mean, circling back to what we started with, I heard your story and was like, holy cow, the story is so amazing and I want to share it. And you were like, it's just a normal story. I was like, no, this is not a normal story. So I think having that outsider perspective is so, so valuable. This has been so amazing, Abby. I so appreciate you sharing today and sharing in a really graceful and beautiful way. You did an amazing job. I know that you were a little nervous and that did not come across. So I'm like exposing you now to say, I know you were nervous, but (laughs) it did not come across at all. You did a really beautiful job of sharing. And I also I'm really excited and grateful for the value that you were able to share in terms of allowing people to see the importance of voice, allowing women to understand the importance of their stories and incorporating that into their personal and professional relationships. I think it's so important. Can you tell us how you are currently showing up as a shameless mom? Oh my goodness. I guess for me, easy way out if I say just using my voice. No, not that. No, there's no easy way out. I was talking with a client this morning about sales calls and how they can be challenging for women and my approach to sales calls and treating them like conversations. And when I come to a sales call and I'm grounded in myself and my voice and who I am in that place when I'm able to do that, those sales calls perform better than if I show up in a way that's smaller, right? Or like I don't belong or like I'm selling, right? And so my shameless mom moment is showing up for myself to accomplish what I want to accomplish in this world, regardless of my kids and my husband and my success is going to be my own. I love it. So good. Thanks to their support. Yes. But It's going to be my own and it's mine. Yes. That's what I, more than anything. And that's what I want for my clients to see and just for women around the world to just see the power that their voice holds. Yes. Amen. Can you tell listeners where they can find you and connect with you? Yes. So I have abbywood.com is my personal website, A-B-B-I-W-O-O-D. I don't know if you're going to put it in the show notes. And then I'm also working on biznality.com as its own entity as it goes through trademarking and things like that. And then, yeah. Nice. You know, just add me on Facebook or email me. Sarah can, you know, you can connect us. <laughs> yes. No, I will have everything linked up in the show notes so people can connect with you for sure. Yeah. And then we'll tag you on social media as well when this goes live so people will be able to connect. I would just love to hear if this resonated with anybody, if anybody can take anything away from this. I would just love to hear what that is for them. Yes. Because, I mean, I'm here sharing person to person. And I'd like nothing more, like I said, than to see and hear how this is going to impact and ripple through with other women. Yeah. And Abby is an amazing communicator and connector. And you warned me when we first met, you said, I'm going to have a lot of questions for you. So let me know when you're ready. I was like, let's go. Tell me all your questions. Ask me all your questions. So I know that when you say that, when you're like, I want to know if this has impacted other people, I know you very genuinely mean that. So thank you. I know that that will be helpful to people. So if this resonates and you want to connect with Abby, by all means do so. We'll have everything linked up in the show notes. If you go to shamelessmom.com and then find the episode with Abby Wood, you can find everything right there. And Abby, thank you so much for taking the time and the energy and the courage to come on today and share your story. This is going to impact other moms lives. And I'm so, so grateful. Thank you so much. It's been really meaningful for me to be able to do this. Good. I'm so glad. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash 
Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be Shameless Mom of the Week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. you're the martyr in your family, you're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the no guilt mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.